If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet Alyssa Ravazio, the founder and CEO of HipCamp, a growing community of good-natured people and the most comprehensive resource for unique outdoor stays from national parks to blueberry farms. HipCamp partners with private landowners to unlock more ways for people to get outside while providing sustainable revenue to protect nature. Since launching in 2013, Alyssa has raised nearly $100 million in venture capital to realize her vision. Alyssa is passionate about shaping the infinite ways the internet impacts humanity and the planet. After creating her own digital democracy major at UCLA, Alyssa went on to work at the U.S. Department of State's International Information and Communication Policy Department, where she was a member of the Net Freedom Task Force and worked in initiatives in cloud computing, internet policy, and the economic impact of internet censorship. Today, she's an active member of the Recreation Advisory Council and has grown HipCamp into the largest online resource of one of the planet's most plentiful resources, land. Let's welcome Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Alyssa, I want to dive straight in here. What is the origin story of HipCamp? And can you tell us, what was the aha moment that said, let's go build this really interesting business? HipCamp was really born from my personal frustration. I would say, uh, and love for the outdoors. I was really lucky. My family took us outside all the time, camping, hiking, et cetera. And for me, it was always a place where I really felt the most like myself. It was where I realized kind of what I cared about and built the best relationships with my sisters and my parents. And so when I became, you know, an adult, started booking my own trips and couldn't believe just how frustrating and broken the system was. Everything was in different locations. The actual process of trying to find a campsite that hadn't already been booked six months ago was incredibly difficult. And so I actually had one trip in particular where after many hours of research, including nearly crashing my Chrome browser because I had too many tabs open, I finally got to this campground and to find out that there was an incredible surf break at the campground. And despite having read everything about the campground for hours, I had not brought my surfboard because nowhere mentioned that there was surfing and I love to surf. And so it was still a fun trip, but it just really made me feel you know, kind of left out. I tried so hard. I still hadn't learned the most important part about this outdoor, you know, experience. And so it was actually driving back uh, to San Francisco the next day that it just hit me that this experience of finding somewhere to go outside is super broken. The internet would be a great way to fix it. And, you know, it really felt like my problem. Like I felt like I was one of the few people maybe that had this internet background and this great love for the outdoors. So, kind of felt a a responsibility to take that on. So I I learned how to code. I built the first version of the site. It was all public land actually when we started. And it actually took us a few years to finally realize how to solve our biggest problem, which was that there's way more people who want to go outside than there are good places to get outside. 
And we eventually figured out that we could solve that by partnering with landowners and creating entirely new places to get outside and play. For everyone out there, if you haven't heard of Hip Camp, most of you probably have. It's often called the Airbnb for the outdoors. Can you just walk people through what it's like to be a, a customer? And obviously it's a marketplace. So walk us through both sides of the equation. When you come to Hip Camp, you have a great resource of all of your public campgrounds across state and national parks. And so that's just convenient to see that in one place. But really why most people come to Hip Camp is because we have this incredible set of places to go outside that you're not going to find anywhere else. And that might be a blueberry farm that you didn't even know is an hour from your house and has incredible glamping tents on a river. Or it might be a big ranch where you can go for a trail ride and have this really cool outdoors Western experience. And so the idea of Hip Camp as someone who wants to get outside is we can help you go somewhere that you couldn't go before and that you couldn't go without us. And I think that that type of outdoor experience, it's so powerful. It really helps people connect with nature in new ways that your standard campground might not offer, whether that's through food and having, you know, meat or vegetables or fruit from the land that you're staying on, or just through meeting people who are taking care of the land and really learning, you know, what good land stewardship can look like, because that is possible. And so you've got all sorts of filters and dates and can make a nice simple booking on our mobile apps or on our website. And then as a landowner, you know, the, the process of, of joining is pretty simple. You are able to fill out a pretty easy online form. We have great insurance that covers you for liability and a property protection plan. And so you have, you know, confidence that you're covered in case something goes wrong. And then for a lot of people on the landowner side, they join hip camp and much quicker than they were expecting, somebody wants to come stay with them. And so then you have kind of this crazy moment of for, for almost everyone on hip camp, it's the first time they really let people from outside their personal community or family and friends like come stay with them. And so it's kind of this crazy magical moment where for a lot of our landowners, they're seeing the power of sharing their land with people and getting to see it through new eyes and appreciate it through, you know, often uh, nature starved city people who are just so appreciative of, of the beauty and the, and the wonder of where they live. And then of course they get to earn some money. And, you know, I think for a lot of our rural communities, especially in the U.S., we haven't seen income go up over the past few decades. And we've certainly seen cost of land ownership go up. And so for a lot of our landowners, this is a great way to close that gap. I mean, obviously that speaks to my heart in every way, which is giving people the ability to make more money is a really important theme in America right now. We'll come back to that in a moment. One of the things that we always say at Inspired Capital is that there needs to be the why now moment. So you started Hip Camp, Let's Rewind in 2013. What was at that moment, the why now? And then we'll talk a little bit about COVID and what's that, that's done to your business. But let's start there. In 2013, where was the why now? What in your instincts outside of your own personal problem were you like, this needs to be invented? We were seeing already, we were probably a couple years in to just this big upswing of interest in the outdoors. Um, and I actually have a lot of credit to social media here. I think this is one of the things social media has helped catalyze. It's been quite quite good for society. You know, there's just this rising interest of, whoa, where's that photo from? Where's that waterfall? Can I go see that? How do I get there? And so I think we were kind of already on this upswing of interest in the outdoors that, you know, personally, I think we're on, you know, decade one of very, very many. Um, and so it was just kind of this early moment of realizing that interest in the outdoors really, you know, surpassed the amount of places there were to go outside. And so that was one of the big moments. And then also, you know, it was early enough that you know, it was still pretty new and cool and novel that you could 
order a car or a pizza with the click of a button. And so I think being in San Francisco and kind of seeing how easy it was getting to do all these other things, it really helped me realize that it was, you know, it was inevitable that somebody was going to make that happen for the outdoors. And I think it was also really important because as we, as we use technology more, which is very empowering and helps us get lots done, it also stresses us out. You know, our bodies have not evolved to handle the level of stimulation <laughs> that the average person just goes through on a regular Tuesday anymore. Amen. I'm just, amen. Like, <laughs> And the biology, like the research here is clear. The science is, is getting really clear that we just, we haven't evolved to handle this many alerts and emails and notifications and sounds and lights. And so what's, what's beautiful about going outside is it lets your body really calm down. It activates that parasympathetic nervous system, which encourages everything to relaxation, to deep healing. And it lets you just kind of resettle and heal from a lot of the accumulated stress and anxiety that's probably been piling up. And so I think as we're seeing this huge rise in urbanization and, and technology, which are both, I think, net net good things, we need a counterpose, we need a counterbalance, and, and that's nature from my perspective. Alyssa, I'm like sitting here ready to hug you because as a mom of three little ones on Zoom school and like in you know small spaces, everything you just said, I'm like, can I please come like crawl into a piece of grass under a tree alone, please. Let's talk a little bit about how COVID has changed your business. Oh man. So, you know, heading into 2020, we we're so excited. I'd hired all these great leaders. We, you know, we had this amazing strategy. We're really seeing accelerating growth. And then when COVID hit, it felt like, you know, running into a wall in a speeding train. We lost about 80 or 90% of our bookings. We actually did quite a bit as a platform to encourage that. We actually really, you know, sent out emails encouraging cancellations, encouraging flattening the curve. And that was a really hard thing to do because for a lot of our hosts, that revenue, you know, that was something they were really counting on. So, you know, I think it was really hard, but I'm proud of how we did it. We actually launched a program where people could choose to donate some of the value of their trip back to their hosts. And about a quarter of people did that. So there was kind of this nice sense of, you know, even in these really hard times with economic uncertainty, people were coming together and supporting each other. So that was encouraging. But from a business standpoint, from a you know PL standpoint, it was pretty, pretty apocalyptic for a few months there. Um, we did do some layoffs on the team. And that, you know, is just the most, you know, horrific and kind of terrifying decision, I think, to make as a CEO, because here's each of these amazing humans who have been handpicked from, you know, pools of hundreds or thousands of applicants and you know, telling them they don't have work coming up in the future at, at the company was, it was just heartbreaking. And, you know, I'm proud of how we did it, but it was an incredibly difficult thing to do. And the team, again, I think just really impressed me with resiliency and coming together. And, you know, we all care about our mission so much and the impact we have that I think that helped us as a bit of a center point and um, kind of kept it together through that and through that purpose. And then, you know, the next few months were, remarkably different. Suddenly, as kind of that first wave of restrictions started to ease a bit heading into the summer, the first thing people wanted to do was get outside. Amen. And we would literally watch like as a state would switch from, you know, red to orange or from tier whatever to the next phase, we would watch bookings explode that day right away. And so as a team, you know, we're a lot smaller than we'd been a few months before. And now suddenly the growth is taking off. So, you know, fortunately we got to bring a lot of our teammates back. Um, but then even then, you know, we have a lot more 
growth and people getting outside and landowners than we were expecting to have during the year. So kind of ever since then, I would say we've really just seen the network effects of our marketplace really continue to accelerate and take off. And so that's been exciting. As I'm getting to know you, what's really clear is that you, one, you are so authentic to your brand. I I wish everyone could see Alyssa right now. It's like literally trees and like, it's just incredible. Her background right now, there's butterflies. Like it's absolutely delightful. You've clearly built Hip Camp with this real deep authenticity, the fabric of what you do. And how have you thought about keeping that true to the brand, true to the mission, true to the team and the culture over the last few years? And I'd love just to get some of your tips because it's such a specific brand of what you're doing and what matters. How have you thought about building that and inculcating that into the culture? Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, it's definitely something very important to me because I think when I when I really zoom out, you know, before starting Hip Camp, I was a unemployed surfer bum. And I was pretty happy with that life. I'll be honest. I was, I was working out actually okay for me. So what really motivated me to do this came from a place of wanting to change culture more than anything. Um, when I look at our world today, and when I look at how our, you know, amphibian populations are doing and our native plants and our water supply, like it's really clear that our current way of living is not going to be able to be sustained for for that much longer, arguably not even for that many more decades. And so I really am excited by the opportunity to help shift our culture back towards one that is just more respectful of the land and the waters and the animals and the plants that support us. And so I think to bring that mindset and that kind of sense of purpose to starting a company, you know, it really informs everything we do, right? Everything from how do we set our goals? How do we set our strategy? where do we take shortcuts and where do we not? And so to be, I guess, more specific, we've always spent a lot of time really documenting what is this brand? Why does this matter? What is it that we want to change about the world and about culture? Some simple stuff that I'm sure everyone's heard a million times that really matters is like documenting your values and actually having a list of values that everyone can point to that really explain like how we want to work and how we want to you know, build this company together for us. One of the most important ones and kind of one of the the ones that I hear referenced most often is leave it better. And this is really a play on kind of the traditional leave no trace mindset, um, which is great, right? Which says, you know, don't leave your trash, don't leave any negative impact on the land. But we think leave it better um, is actually a much more appropriate mindset for our current, you know, time, which is how can you have a positive impact? Because you can. And for us at a company, that means everything from, you know, give feedback, receive feedback, ask for feedback. And then as a platform, as a community, it means how can we, you know, go outside, have fun and recreate and leave the land better than we found it, leave the environment better than we found it. So I think just, you know, integrating that mindset into everything is important. And, you know, it even goes to goals. Like our our North Shore goal is always how many nights outside are we going to have? It's not revenue. It's nights outside. That's what it's all about. (laughs) I was literally just going to ask. You know, you've raised over $100 million from great investment firms like Benchmark and Dreesen. And I was just going to ask you, how do you define growth? So whenever we do like our big annual plan, our North Star is always nights outside. And I just think that's so important. And look, revenue and, and GMB are obviously super important metrics as well, because we are a platform that's, you know, creating economic value for our landowners. And so that's a really important measure of that. But I think staying focused on, you know, our mission, which is get more people outside, 
not make tons of money, but get more people outside. And of course, you know, make money by creating value in the meantime. I think keeping focused on that through a nights outside core metric has been really important. And in terms of growth, you know, this year we've seen kind of since the the upswing uh, of COVID every month has been, you know, we're three, four or more times larger than we were the year prior. And so we were growing fast before this too, um, but coming out of this and kind of looking to the future, I think that as our, as our culture starts to realize, you know, how accessible the outdoors can be, that it doesn't have to be sleeping on the ground. If you don't want it to be, you can go glamping, you can stay in a tree house, you can rent an RV or a camper van. I think as people are starting to figure that out, it's really opening the door for everybody in terms of finding how they're going to get that quiet relaxation and healing time that they need. From your perch, you have such a unique vantage point. If we fast forward a decade, as we think about our relationship to the outdoors, and you've started to like thread a little bit in there, what are your predictions if we fast forward 10 years of how we think or evolving and how we interact with nature and obviously sustainability, and there's a lot of big things going on in the background here, but I would just love to hear some of your obvious predictions. I love that question. So I would say my two greatest hopes that I believe are possible, so therefore our predictions. Um, I hope that as a culture, we've really kind of reframed our role in everything from climate change to biodiversity loss, not as one of we're the problem and we need to get smaller, and towards one of, okay, we've caused some problems and we have incredible capacity to fix them and to have a positive impact on the world. And we can feed ourselves, we can grow fruits and vegetables and meat in a way that's actually good for the land and good for other animals. So I hope we've really kind of gotten through this misanthropy, this hatred of humanity phase I think we're going through and, and kind of reframed a bit. And then I hope we've also kind of taken a bit of a, a humility pill and realized that you know we like to think of ourselves as the uh, conquerors of nature. And I think we're seeing through all the natural disasters we're living through here. Here in California, we now have fire season. <laughs> <laughs> starts in summer goes through fall and I think we're realizing yeah we haven't really conquered much of anything and I hope we can learn to be more part of the ecosystem and part of the the nature community instead of think that we're somehow in charge of it and I think what that'll look like is just a community of people that are a lot more frequent in their outdoor recreation I think having accessibility to the outdoors should be a human right. I don't think it's right for people to live somewhere where they don't have access to nature and trees and water. It's again scientifically proven that our biology needs that <laughs> to calm down. And so I think you'll see just a much higher usage, higher frequency, um, a lot more outdoors. One of the biggest problems of the last couple of decades have been that everything gets booked up six months in advance. So those of us who aren't you know, long-term planners get stuck inside. <laughs> more often than not. And so I think you'll just see a lot more spaces for people to go outside and a lot more businesses. There's incredible new businesses starting everywhere from, you know, RV rental to gear rental to building really cool little tiny houses on the land. And so I think there's just going to be this continued explosion of innovation in the outdoors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Cardin knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more, 
Or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to shift a little bit back to you, Alyssa, which is, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? You know, when, when did that aha moment happen? And was it obvious where was, was young Alyssa an entrepreneur or was this one of those things you stumbled on? And we'll come back to your UCLA days and some of the cool things you did there. Yeah, I think I didn't probably like know the word entrepreneur growing up necessarily, but I did start my first company when I was, I think I was nine. It was a film production company. It was called Spiral Films. I printed business cards. I was very proud of. And my two little sisters were our only employees. I paid them mostly in mac and cheese. So I think that probably (laughs) was a pretty good indicator. And then I've always loved also just like organizing. I remember in second grade, I actually got in huge trouble for organizing all the second graders and first graders to (laughs) basically do a protest because I thought it was unfair. The seventh graders were getting more time in the new covered eating area. And actually got in big trouble for it because we like caused total hell so you know I think that organizing people to create change that you know is important has been a a long-term passion of mine for sure (laughs) but I didn't think I'd be in business honestly I I thought I would end up in government or nonprofit. and I recently got to meet actually the the founder of Patagonia Yvonne Chouinard and I it wanted to be super cool and give him this great pitch on hip camp. And instead I shook his hand and started crying, which is not maybe the best look, but it really took looking him in the eyes. He has these beautiful blue piercing eyes. And it took looking him in the eyes to realize, wow, you are responsible more than anyone else on earth for really helping shift my mindset to realize that for-profit businesses can be good. It was really through Patagonia that I had this insight of, oh, wow, maybe a for-profit can have a good cultural change too. So I think I was surprised I ended up in business, to be honest. I want to quickly go back because there's this fun fact that I can't get over about you. But when you were at UCLA, you literally created your own major all about the internet. How did you go from there to like teaching yourself to code? And what was that degree about the internet? Like that's also kind of fascinating. So tell us a little bit more. It was as many things are the birth of a necessity because I actually didn't get into film school. So I'd gone into UCLA. I was planning to get into the film school. Remember, film production company at the age of nine. This had been my plan for a very long time. And I ended up not getting in, despite having already taken most of the classes and having great grades, because I tried to pitch them in my final interview on letting me study how the internet was going to impact film. And they were like, we don't do that here, and you're not getting in. And so I ended up kind of being in a pretty tough spot. And I think the idea of creating a major about the internet, I was just really fortunate to kind of connect at the right time with a resource that showed me I could create a major. And it was, I mean, I still am. And especially then I was just obsessed with this new tool, this new technology that I I could tell was just going to change everything about our society. And so the major was pretty ambitious. It was studying how the internet was going to impact our society just a little you know, small focus thing. <laughs> yeah. So it was, I actually broke it into like government and media and business and I had all these topics and I ended up writing my thesis actually on journalism and how, you know, revenue models for journalism were going to be impacted. And that was a pretty dark endeavor to go on. I think a lot of what we've seen play out over the last decade, it was kind of obvious, you know, back then, I guess it was 20, 2010 or so when the revenue model for the fourth branch of our government falls out from under them, like it's going to be hard. And I think it'll be better on the other side. I think we're seeing signs of that. 
but it, it's going to be really, it's going to be really tough. So it was a great major. It actually ended up with me getting an internship at the state department because remember at the government and I got to work on internet policy and that was incredible. And I could have easily stayed working in public service forever, but I just, there was a startup I'd helped start the summer before building cash registers on iPads and it just kind of kept, uh, <laughs> chirping at the back of my head. And so I came, I came back to San Francisco and helped get that company off the ground. And so I think that was my first kind of taste of the business world. And I just loved, especially the process of sitting with customers, hearing what they were saying, going back to the office, sitting down with the engineers, building the thing, the person said they needed coming back like that loop, getting to watch someone actually have a problem solved because of some code we wrote. Um, that was something that just felt so magical to me. So um, that's really how I got super excited, I think, about, about startups. And then I ended up going, after having the idea for HipCamp, I ended up going actually to a coding school. I went to Dev Bootcamp. Um, I tried to learn how to code on my own, and it was, it was really hard for me personally. People can do it, but for me, it was too hard. And Dev Bootcamp created this environment that basically was designed to make you okay with the fact that you were going to feel really stupid every day. And um, that worked really well for me. <laughs> Alyssa, I want to ask a question. So you're a very soulful, personable person building this movement. What would you say are the one to two things that you swear by? And it could be anything, but to keep you running hip camp beautifully. And that can be like your own forms of rules for keeping your calendar in check or staying ahead of stress, but like pay it forward to all the other founders listening. What are the rules that you have to keep going thoughtfully? Yeah, there's so there's so many. I feel like that question and that body of knowledge for so many CEOs is like the art of being CEO, like learning how to manage yourself. If you can do Amen. that, Amen. you know, you can, you can do anything. Um, cause it, it is, it is a tough ride. So, you know, I think at a, at a high level for me, the most important one, the guiding light has been figure out what it is I need to do to be in a place where I can really be in touch with that inner instinct, that inner intuition. Because if that gets clouded up, if I can't kind of hear my gut, something's wrong. And it's pretty easy for me to get there. Like if I haven't been sleeping or exercising or eating well, or if I've just gotten letting myself getting really sucked into some stressful thing, like that all really clouds my judgment up. And so, you know, for me, some rules are, this is a good one. I don't use alarm clocks. Unless I, of course, I really have to, like I have an airport or whatever. I normally wake up pretty naturally at sunrise around six or so anyway, but not having an alarm clock, which means some days I'll sleep until 7.30 and it's like surprising, but it happens. But guess what? I guess my body needed it. So I think giving giving myself the ability to sleep as much as my body wants to sleep has been huge. Exercising is just the fastest path to mental clarity for me, especially outside. If I can go surfing, if I can go paddleboarding, if I can go on a big hike, like there's no faster way for me to really understand what matters and what doesn't. So those are really important. And then this is something I didn't understand until really the past few years, but actually the, I think the best thing you can do as a CEO to manage your stress is just make sure you have the right people reporting to you. It's, you know, I think so much of the time when I felt too overwhelmed, it actually, it actually was like, oh, I'm, I'm missing a person. I don't have a head of X or wow. Like I actually really need this person's amazing, but I need to hire them someone who's seen the next phase or two so that they can learn from that person. And those insights and those conclusions are actually some of the most important things for really not ending up as CEO in a really stressful, hard position all the time. 
what's the biggest pinch me moment you've had so far at hip camp where you just literally felt like in awe of something that had just happened? What was it? I have two. Absolutely. So one that really just, gosh, there's so many, this is a great question, but I'll, I'll, I'll at least share this one. Really early on when we first started doing private land, which was, you know, 2015, 2016, we'd opened up this marketplace. There was a rancher just about an hour or so north of San Francisco that was doing great. And I think we only had like 10 landowners on the platform at the time. So I was like, I'm going to go meet her and just be like, tell me about your life and what's going on. I love talking to customers. So I drive up to her ranch. I'm pretty nervous. And I see her once I pull up and she's coming at me with this piece of paper. And I'm like, oh my God, it's a list of demands and problems. And like, this is terrible. I knew it. And instead she's like, hey, it's like before the first thing she wanted to say to me, this is a letter from a land development company. And I get these letters all the time. They want to buy my land. They want to build tons of houses on it. They think the land is worth millions of dollars. And, you know, I hate these letters. I hate them because if I sell this land, I will have failed at my life's purpose. My life's purpose is to leave this land better than I found it. She's actually the person where we got leave it better from. And at the same time, she told me there's a fear that I'm going to have to call them. I don't always know how I'm going to make my monthly payment. And sometimes I have to leave the letter on my desk just in case, because I don't always know what, you know, next month is going to bring. She said, I want to give you this letter because hip camp makes it junk mail to me. I think, you know, again, I, I came at all of this as like a girl wanting a campsite by the ocean, right? I didn't come at this thinking, oh, I want to build a platform to redistribute wealth to rural America and build a scalable model for land conservation. And so, you know, but I knew I was solving a problem that mattered to me. And so I think that moment was so important because it showed me that, you know, when we solve real problems, there's often even more value <laughs> and even bigger problems that we're solving alongside them than we kind of first realized. And so in that case, it was really the first moment that for me, the dots connected around, wow, we're not only creating cool places to camp, we're funding habitat protection, we're funding conservation, we're, we, you know, if we do a good job, we could scale this up as the fastest way to protect land on the planet. And we need that right now. And then my second one, if I may, Jay-Z invested in our company last year and growing up and in, especially in college and, and beyond, his lyrics have been, his music has been incredibly important to me. There's so much in his, there's so much wisdom in the music around not caring what other people think of you and listening to yourself and just doing your thing and, you know, not, not letting the haters get you down. And it was a huge part of, um, I think, why I got confidence to like start a company and be a CEO. And he ended up investing in the company and I got to meet him and and pitch him and he loved the pitch and I, I went up to he wanted to meet me after and I went up to go shake his hand and he said bring it in like give me a hug and in that moment for me was huge because it's like here's someone who's been you know such a leader in my mind such an entrepreneur such someone who's really kind of led the way and saying you know you got to do you and don't try to make everyone else happy and I think especially as a woman in the U.S. you know we're all taught to make everybody else happy first. And then if you happen to have energy and time left over for yourself, like, you know, good for you. And um, it was just great to meet him and get to really say thank you for helping uh, undo some of my cultural programming. <laughs> Alyssa, I love that. Um, okay, we're gonna quickly move to the quick fire round because otherwise I feel like I could talk to you for like another hour um, and I wanna make sure we get there. Um, I wanna ask a, a quick question here, which is if we fast forward two years, how many days a week do you think we sit in an office? Zero. We wanna do monthly 
and quarterly meetups where we're all gathering for a week or a long weekend where we're working on hard problems in person. I really think in-person time, at least for me, is still going to be critical. But I think people are going to live in places such that being somewhere every single week, like that's just, that's not where I see the future going. I think the genie's out of the bottle on this one, personally. <laughs> um, I agree with you. That's precisely why we ask it. Um, my second question here is, um, what is the favorite question you ask interview candidates? Which, like, There's got to be an Alyssa question that you love. What is it? If you were a plant or an animal, what would you be and why? <laughs> Literally, I think we're going to be best friends. That's amazing. <laughs> and then my last question is, I want you to pay it forward. Other than HipCamp, what's one startup that everybody should know about that you love? Like anything, a product, a service, a new Ooh. app, anything, pay it forward. Can I have two? Yes. One is Incredible Health, founded by my friend Amon, and she's connecting nurses with hospitals. And so I'm just so proud of her because I think the impact she's been able to have on the world always, and especially during this pandemic, is just so impressive. And she's an incredible founder. I learned so much from her and everybody should know about her work and what she's doing. And it's an incredible opportunity. And then uh, my friend Virginia has a company called Silvatex that's building a next generation battery and I am very excited by battery technology. I think it's one of the most critical missing pieces of infrastructure on the planet right now. And she's figured out a way to do it with all like biomaterials. It's as effective as a lithium iron battery. So I can't believe everyone doesn't know about that already, to be honest. <laughs> Alyssa, I could talk to you for hours. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked out HipCamp, head to hipcamp.com and you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Alyssa, you are a gem of a human. Thank you sincerely. Thank you. You too. Thank you for having me.